Hello and welcome to the Medico Lifestyle Podcast. My name is Dr Jonas Hayes, I'm a foundation doctor. And my name is Emily Kelly and I'm a graduate entry medical student. Our podcast tackles tough medical topics and we welcome guests to talk about their work in the world of healthcare and beyond. So today we're going to be talking about a topic that I've been encountering on a few of my on-calls lately. We're going to be talking about sepsis. So Emily, do you want to give us a case presentation? So today's case is a 70-year-old man who has been brought in by ambulance with a three-day history of a productive cough. Over the last 24 hours, he has become feverish and started shaking. His wife is with him and reports that he has stopped making sense and appears confused. Sounds a bit dodgy, really, doesn't it? It doesn't sound great, does it? So I'm pretty worried about the fact that this guy sounds like he's got a bad infection and he's just started becoming confused. Mm. So this really is racking through my mind and making me think about the fact that this guy may potentially have sepsis. Okay. So if I ask you, throw it back, how would we define sepsis? I'm pulling your face here because okay. I feel like mean? I'm going to fall into a trap. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you put the trap up first and we'll see. Okay, so a infection mm-hmm. in the blood. Ooh, okay. Fell into the first trap. Oh. I feel like we should have QI buzzers going off when we're things like that. So... Um, yes, so bacteremia is an infection in the blood. A bacterial infection. A bacterial in infection in the blood, um, which doesn't necessarily, which can lead to sepsis, certainly, mm-hmm. but sepsis can be caused by other things as well. So you can have a sepsis due to a fungal infection, you can have it due to a viral infection as well. Um, if we think about coronavirus, that's been recognised as causing sepsis as well. So we've got all sorts of things that can cause sepsis. Now, how it's defined is as a life-threatening organ dysfunction that was caused by a dysregulated host immune response to an infection. So, so it's really all about an immune response rather than what is or isn't in your blood. Yes. So okay. it is our body responding to that infection and in a dysregulated way um, and then causing all the problems we're going to talk about. Right. So it's a bit of a problem. Mm-hmm. Generally, it's uh, quite a bit of a widespread problem. So in the UK, apparently about 250,000 people are affected by sepsis each year. Wow. um, With 52,000 of them dying. Wow. Yeah. And globally, it affects about 30 million and results in 6 million deaths annually. Quite an important topic then for healthcare professionals. So good for all your healthcare professionals, good for medical students, good for doctors, good for anyone. Affects millions of people, kills millions of people. Yes. Maybe we should know about it. Yes. It claims more lives than lung cancer, breast cancer, bowel cancer and prostate cancer combined. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm listening. Exactly. So there are some tools for identifying whether a patient has sepsis. Mm -hmm. And these are all about these red flag symptoms and signs right okay now we're going to talk about those a little bit later but they come from the sepsis trust which is a charity which has loads of guidelines loads of collects loads of data and runs lots of campaigns about sepsis so that's a good one to look out for but let's first work out what the pathophysiology of sepsis is and how it causes the kind of clinical presentation okay so what did we say about it already the sepsis is a dysregulated immune response to an infection yes so we know what an immune response to an infection looks like at a local level so you can imagine if you had a cut in your hand and it got infected it would look all red and swollen swollen hot yeah 
and the reasons for that being that it's red because you've got uh, increased blood flow to that area, you've got vasodilation, um, it swells up because you've got increased vascular permeability as well. Um, and that's all about getting white blood cells and things to that area. It also has um, the ability to clot better. Um, so all these things can help you out when you've got a localized infection. Hmm. But in the case of sepsis, we've now got a dysregulated immune response that's systemic. So it's affecting the whole body. And I guess it then becomes a little bit less helpful. Yes. So less helpful now. Mm. Um, so if we talk about how that kind of clotting and the vascular permeability and the vasodilation, how that affects each kind of organ system. So let's start by picking out the cardiovascular system. Okay. So how does sepsis affect the cardiovascular system, do you think? So we know when someone presents with sepsis or even an infection mm -hmm. that they're going to have, they're going to be tachycardic, mm -hmm. so have a high heart rate. Yeah. Um, and they can have a low blood pressure as well. Yes. So our low blood pressure, now that's going to be caused predominantly by, we mentioned it already, the vasodilation. Mm-hmm. Um, and also by the increased vascular permeability. Yeah. So we've got some equations now for how we get blood pressure and that kind of thing. I'm making my face again. Uh, yes. <laughs> so cardiac output, let's start with that one. Uh huh. So how do we get our cardiac output? So our cardiac output, I know this one, cardiac output is equal to stroke volume times heart rate. Good. And then our blood pressure or our mean arterial pressure. So that's our blood pressure over incorporating both the systolic and diastolic parts. Yeah, so that's made up of your cardiac output yeah. um, times your total peripheral resistance. Fantastic. So that total peripheral resistance then is the sort of vascular tone or how sort of squeezed and constricted all your vessels are. And the amount of fluid that's in them? Absolutely. So the, the fluid that's uh, pushing against the walls, essentially. Yeah. Now, if that has dropped... Because vasodilation and vascular permeability, so vasodilation means that they're bigger, vascular permeability means that the fluid is able to leak out of them. Yeah, so that's dropped now. Mm -hmm. So our blood pressure is going to start dropping. So what's the reflex that we have to try and counteract that? Well, then we're going to have tachycardia Yeah. to increase our cardiac output. Yeah, absolutely. So you increase the heart rate, you increase your cardiac output, so you can try and support your blood pressure that way. Mm -hmm. Now, there's other ways in which it affects the cardiovascular system other than just the vasodilation and permeability. Mm -hmm. Apparently, it can also affect the cardiac myocytes themselves. So the very heart muscle can be affected by the uh, immune mediators that are all washing around your body because of the sepsis. And what can it do to them? So it can reduce the strength of contraction, which isn't helpful when you're trying to pick up your heart rate to counteract <laughs> no, so this you, low you've pressure. lost all of your volume and then it also can't contract very forcefully. So you're in a bit of a sorry state essentially. Yeah. So this overall causes a hypovolemia, so a low volume state. When you say low volume, we haven't actually lost any blood. We haven't we haven't bled anywhere. No, that's very true. Um so it's about where the fluid is essentially. So in med school and Places you get taught about the different spaces that you have so like intravascular space and extravascular space mm -hmm. so that's where your fluid is so fluid here has essentially moved from our intravascular space 
So that's the space inside our blood vessels yeah. to other spaces. So it's extravascular. It's moved outside into the interstitium of the body. And there it's not doing the job that it was intended for. I no, guess. it's not swishing around with the red blood cells in it and carrying the oxygen to where it needs to go. It's just sat there. Being rubbish. Mm. And we'll talk about <laughs> where it's being rubbish as well. Okay. So let's talk about our kidneys, how, how the, this hypovolemia affects our kidneys. I guess you get decreased blood flow to the kidneys because you've got decreased blood flow to everything. You certainly do. And that decreased perfusion to the kidney causes an acute kidney injury. Mm-hmm. So that can cause damage to the kidneys because the kidneys uh, need blood flow to survive. Um, so you get an acute kidney injury and that can cause other problems down the line as well. I guess we might do another podcast on that. I think we should. Definitely yeah, a good one, I reckon. cover all the aspects of acute kidney injury. Mm. It has many causes as well. I'd like that. Okay, next one. Okay. <laughs> okay, so what about the central nervous system as well? Well, we know that people with sepsis can become confused mm-hmm. and even sort of have seizures and comas. Yep, so you can slip into a coma, certainly, um, or become confused because you've got reduced perfusion of the brain. Mm-hmm. And the other part of that is that with all this immune response that's going on, you can have an altered uh, central nervous system function because of that as well, that widespread inflammation. So mm-hmm. affecting our brain, our kidneys, our liver as well. You so can have hypoperfusion to the liver as well. You are, so hypoperfusion to the liver, so the liver starts to become ischemic. You can get a slowing down of production of bile and a raise in your blood levels of your liver enzymes. If you think about your things like ALT, ALP can rise because your um, liver isn't working very well and it, liver cells breaking down. Um, how about the lungs? People with sepsis get um, pulmonary edema, don't they? Like fluid in the lungs. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like a pulmonary edema whereby your lungs, you know, your alveoli have that really good capillary bed around them. Mm. And that has suddenly become not very good at keeping its fluid in. It's like leaking into your alveoli. Yeah, so you get this leaking in, this breakdown of the alveolar endothelial barrier. And so fluid can come into the alveoli and that can obviously impact how well your lungs oxygenate. Yeah. So you can get hypoxia. And if it gets really bad, it gets into something we call acute respiratory distress syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a, another big topic, but you know you get really bad um, ventilation perfusion mismatch. So we know it affects lots of different organs. The other thing to mention about sepsis is how it can put you in a hypercoagulable state as well. Ooh. Do you remember we've talked about that before? Verkau's triad. Yes. So infection <laughs> is one of those things in Verkau's triad um, in the under that hypercoagulable state point of the triad. Please listen to our PE podcast. Yes, so it's in the PE podcast as well. <laughs> uh, so that's a that's an unsubtle plug of that one. Um, okay, so the hypercoagulable thing um, yeah. can mean that you have lots of micro clots as well. Yeah, um, and these can further damage um, any of these organs that we've mentioned, particularly places like the kidneys. Mm. I guess you can get bigger clots as well. Yeah, so at risk of stroke and. Yeah, it will. It will put you at risk of of getting larger clots as well, PEs, all these sorts of things. Mm. Okay, and sort of one sepsis condition that we've sort of seen that a lot in is COVID, isn't it? We've seen a lot of um, hypercoagulable states and 
certainly lots of the renal dysfunction in that has has come from yeah or like um, microemboli in the kidney and yeah absolutely so this brings us to our red flags signs for sepsis which are the sepsis trusts uh, red flag signs so we think someone's got an infection and then we're looking out for any of these so does the patient respond only to voice or pain are they unresponsive um, have they got an acute confusion so our chap right at the beginning we said his he's, he's got confused. an acute confusion hasn't he yeah um have they got a systolic blood pressure that is below 90 mm-hmm. or it drops by 40 from their normal so, so i guess they've got really high blood pressure yeah then. Um, and the reflex tachycardia we talked about, so a reflex high heart rate. Mm-hmm. So if their heart rate is above 130 beats per minute, that's yep. another red flag sign. So increased respiratory rate above 25 per minute mm-hmm. is another red flag. Now, there's a few things that play into that respiratory rate. We talked about earlier about how the lungs aren't working so well because you've got that breakdown of the endothelial barrier as well. They're quite wet. Yeah, um, and I guess it means that the oxygen can't perfuse efficiently into the capillaries that would normally be working as well yeah so you're increasing your work of breathing to try and get the oxygen to perfuse as well as you can the other part of that is that when all of the rest of your body is having um, a metabolic derangement due to the sepsis that increases your requirements for oxygen so you're trying to increase your respiratory rate that way as well so lots of things can drive that basically yeah so Feeds into the next one being they need oxygen to keep their oxygen saturations above 92. That just sort of is a marker of how difficult they're finding it to maintain their own oxygen saturations. Yeah. Things like a non-blanching rash or they're mottled or they're ashen or they're cyanotic. So there's a few different sort of visual clues there. Mm. Um, So things like a rash, you think about non-blanching rash, what type of infection does that make you think of? Um, Meningococcal. Yeah, so meningococcal septicemia. Looking sort of mottled and ashen is generally showing you that you've got reduced perfusion to the skin. And cyanosis, which is that kind of blue tinge to someone, that's a good indicator of what? Poor oxygen saturation. Yeah, of hypoxia in general. Um, Okay, another one being that they've not passed urine in the last sort of 18 hours or that their urine output when you're measuring it is below normal do you know what normal urine output is 0.5 mil per kilo per hour yes so if you think about someone who's a 70 kilo man mm-hmm. they should be producing how much urine per hour um 35 mils yeah simple so if they're producing less than 35 mils in an hour that's another red flag isn't it yeah and i guess that's just because if they've got sepsis, their kidneys are likely to be affected. Yeah, so they're underperfused. Um, okay, another fl- red flag. If their lactate is above 2 or equal to 2, what's lactate? I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> so lactate is a substance that's created by anaerobic respiration. Yes. So this is respiration minus the oxygen, right? Yeah, got that. So (laughs) it's generally a sign of ischemia. Mm -hmm. So if you have an increasing lactate or a high lactate, it's just that sign that parts of your body are not getting the oxygen that they need. Mm -hmm. Uh, And another red flag is recent chemotherapy. This is a bit of a... Oh, because chemotherapy 
immunocompromises you? It does, it does. So it can cause neutropenia. Mm -hmm. So that's a low white blood cell count. Yeah. Um, and that can lead to something called neutropenic sepsis. So you know it's a big risk factor for, for becoming very unwell. Yeah. So if we've got any of these red flags present and we think they've got an infection, we need to start our key management strategy. Woo, woo, management. Yes. <laughs> and hopefully the Sepsis Trust have done such a good job of publicising this so much that you shall know it. What is it called? Um, it's called the Sepsis 6. Of course, the Sepsis 6. So most people should have heard of this already. Um, but can you remember all of the parts of the Sepsis 6? I know it's like give three, take three or three in, three out. or Yeah, so they're kind of, people try and remember it that way. Um, there's all different sort of strategies with the ins and the outs and the take three, give three, whatever. Sometimes I'm not sure what's going in and what's coming out. It's like... a little bit confusing. So let's just start. What's what's one of them? Um, you're going to want to take blood cultures. Yes. So that's a good one. So that's why we're um, so we're looking to see if there's an organism in their blood. So yeah. that, that, again, it was our bacteremia, potentially. But it could be... A it could be something else. bacterial organism. Yeah, as well. or, or it could be sepsis without a bacteremia as well. Like if you have neutropenic sepsis, you don't necessarily have to have a... You may not necessarily have an organism in your blood. But it's good because if we do find one in the blood, then we can target our treatment towards yes. it. Okay, so blood cultures is one. What's another? Um, You're going to want to be monitoring their urine output. You are. We mentioned it already as it's kind of a red flag sign that they've got a reduced urine output. Yeah. But you do. So you want to put in a urinary catheter. Mm -hmm. um, other things you might think about while sort of investigating infection around um, this time. Well, you put in a catheter and then you can dip the urine as well. Yeah. So you can take a fresh urine dip from or a putting sample in a catheter. For, for um, culturing. Yeah. So you can do microscopy, sensitivity and culture from that specimen, from that catheter specimen. Good. Another thing? Um... We already talked about it, but you want to measure their lactate. You do. You're really keen to measure their lactate. And you can measure the lactate in two different ways. Do you measure it in the blood? You do. So you can either take a VBG, which is a venous blood gas, mm -hmm. or an ABG. Yeah. Or actually, you can probably measure it through a formal blood sample as well. But majority of the time, you're going to be doing it quickly, and you're going to want a quick result. Yeah, you get like a bedside little machine right in the on the ward for a vbg or an abg yeah completely so we're going to be wanting to measure the lactate and seeing what happens as we treat them oh so another treatment then part of the sepsis six um gonna go for the most obvious one is you're probably going to give antibiotics you are you're going to give antibiotics now you're going to assume that it's from a bacterial infection to start with before, you may well do. Because you're not going to get your blood cultures back quickly. No. And you're going to try and pick a broad-spectrum antibiotic, and this will kind of be guided by wherever you're working, essentially, yeah. wherever you're, you are find yourself, um, because places have specific microbiology guidelines. Now, for our chap, what do we think is the source? Oh, he had a cough. He's got a chest infection. He did. He had a purulent cough, so... Uh, cough productive of sputum mm -hmm. so we think he's probably got a chest infection so he's probably got chest sepsis as the cause so we're going to be targeting our antibiotics in that direction yeah. so whatever the empirical treatment is at wherever you are great and the antibiotics need to go in 
do we just wait around? How no, long? quickly. Quickly. Before or after the blood culture? Is taken? Yes. Before you take your blood? Before you take it? No. No, you want to take your blood culture and then give your antibiotic because if you've started giving your antibiotic, yep. then if there was something in the blood culture, it might not show up as well. Well done. Very good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting somewhere. So, right. good. So you've started now antibiotics and they should be within the first hour of you sort of recognising that you think they've got sepsis. Um, okay, we've said one, two, three, four. There's two more things. Um, I guess you're going to give him fluid. You are, particularly if they're hypovolemic, you're going to want to give them fluid. Yeah. Um, any ideas of how much? Absolutely not. Okay. Some. Some. So you don't want to give them any more than about 30 mils per kilo. Um, so to start with, a good starter, if they're an adult, we said this guy's um, 75, you might want to check if he's got any other sort of risk factors like... Um, congestive cardiac failure mm -hmm. but to start with you're probably going to start with sort of a 500 milliliter bolus of fluid to try and get that in and see if it affects his blood pressure because we know he's got low blood pressure septic. what sort of fluid aha <laughs> okay t terrible so that's uh, again another discussion in, in and of itself what type of fluid but the general feeling is that you go with something called a crystalloid mm -hmm. so that's something a salty fluid essentially so either 0.9% sodium chloride solution yeah or um, there are other solutions that are sort of more balanced things like plasmalite which can be used as well okay happy with that let's say yes <laughs> let's say yes so we've given fluids we've done uh, antibiotics anything else as well um well in the case of our Gentleman, he yeah. is struggling to breathe. He is. So what should we try and give him? I would go and give him oxygen. That's a very good tactic. So we can give oxygen. Um, particularly here, we're just trying to aim to keep their saturations above 94%. So there might be some conditions in which we're not trying to target 94%, such as... COPD. And what are you targeting then? 88 to 92? Yeah. Um, okay, so... We've now gone through our sepsis six. Uh, run me through them really quickly. We had... Blood cultures. Yep. Monitor urine output. Uh, take a lactate. Give oxygen. Give fluids. And quickly give antibiotics. Fantastic. <laughs> so we've, those are our principal things. Now, there might be some other things around the sides to do with whatever sort of infection we think they might have. So let's say our chap, we think he's got a chest infection. So, mm -hmm. obvious investigations to do if you think he's got a chest infection. Uh, chest x-ray. Fantastic. Um, if you thought he had a different type of infection, if you thought he had meningitis, what type of investigation might you do? Lumbar puncture. Brilliant. Now, other sort of common sources of sepsis then, if we just talk about um, the most common yeah. down to the, the less common. So, our most common one, what do you think it is? Chest sepsis. Yeah, so pneumonia is the most common cause of cause of sepsis. After that, e urinary. Yeah, urinary oh. tract. Yeah, that's good. Um, and then you've got abdominal conditions um, under that skin, soft tissue, bone, joint, things like, like cellulitis. Cellulitis, yeah, septic arthritis, stuff like that. 
underneath that endocarditis, so infection on the heart valves, um, under that meningitis, and we talked about that with the LP. Um, endocarditis, what sort of investigations do you, do you do for that? Blood cultures. Yep, so we said blood cultures. <laughs> We're doing that already, but yeah, lots of blood cultures. Echo. You do an echo as well. To yeah. look for vegetation on the heart valves. Yeah, fantastic. Um, okay, and so that's kind of all our sort of going from most common to least common. Now, most common being chest pneumonia, about 50% of cases of sepsis are down to that. Yeah. So it's a good one for us to have talked about. So there are some patients who require some special considerations because they might be at more risk of sepsis. Can you think about who they might be? Um, we talked about people who might be immune compromised earlier on. So that could be people who receive cancer treatment or um, people with HIV and AIDS. Yeah. Or similar things that make you immune compromised kind of thing. People who've had splenectomies, people mm. with who are taking immunosuppressants because they've had a organ transplant. Or so like uh, inflammatory bowel disease, people take immunosuppressants. Yeah, so there's loads of reasons. Um, anyone else? Pregnant women? Yes, pregnant women are another one to consider. Um, also infants, so below the age of one. Is that just because your immune system hasn't like got going yet? You got it? <laughs> and over the age of 75 as well. Old people. How old was our guy? He was only 70, I think. Ah, okay. So he's not quite in that category yet. All right then. So we've gone through managing sepsis and we've yep. talked a bit about pathophysiology. Now, where are we going to find ourselves managing sepsis? Potentially anywhere. Well, yeah, okay, so potentially anywhere you could get really unwell and become septic, but where well, would we anywhere... like these patients to be? Oh, right, I see. Um, well, they could, they're obviously, this guy's coming to A&E. Yeah, so that's the obvious place, A&E. But they may be on a hospital ward and then become septic. They could. So you might be treating them in A&E, you might be treating them on a hospital ward, Um Anywhere else. So if they've been treated in A&E or they've been treating on treating them on the wards and they're still not looking very well, where else might they end up? ITU. <laughs> yes, so they might end up in intensive care um, and there are kind of more sort of special criteria that you might want to think about. Is it about them being unable to maintain their own blood pressure? That's one of the principal ones, yeah. So if you've gone through your sepsis 6, you're trying to manage with fluids, um, and you're coming up to that sort of, we said, 30 mils per kilogram limit there, um, and the systolic blood pressure is still below 90, you're just not going to be able to do the job with fluids alone. Mm. So that's going to be a, sort of a key criteria if you think they, the patient sort of requires that escalation yeah. to escalate them to intensive care. Um, because why? Are they going to give them more fluids? They can do magic things. <laughs> <laughs> so they can give drugs which um, will artificially uh, increase vascular resistance. So vasopressors, like right? Vasopressors, yeah, noradrenaline, things like that. So other things, other reasons you might want to um, refer them to intensive care, if they've got a reduced level of consciousness despite you resuscitating them, if their respiratory rate is still really high um, because they might need what? If they've got a really bad chest... 
respiratory rate is still really high. They're not looking good. Their oxygen stats are really low. Oh, ventilation. Ventilation, that thing they do on intensive care quite a lot. Sorry, I was looking at you like, what? Exactly. And um, the other one is that if their lactate just isn't coming down, that might be dependent on whatever the cause is. But again, it might be a sign there that they're still not getting the fluid to the right places with the oxygen. Mm. So, yeah. Okay, so fortunately, our gentleman... Have we done a great job? We've done a great job. Go Um, You've given all of those sepsis six things. uh, He's had his antibiotics and he starts looking a bit better. So he starts improving. Uh, He regains consciousness. He becomes hemodynamically stable again. So yes, his blood pressure is back up uh, to around normal. And he spends, uh, he spent essentially the night in A&E and he gets moved on to an acute medical ward after that. So... He gets some anti- more antibiotics, so mm-hmm. we're not going to just going to stop him at the one dose. We should probably carry that on. Yeah. So he gets about five days of antibiotics. His oxygen that he was on gets weaned down, um, and we switch him to oral antibiotics, and he gets discharged home. Yay! Yay! Great. Follow up for him. If he's had a chest infection. Chest X-ray. Yes. So he needs a chest X-ray about six weeks after he's been discharged. So just to check it's gone. Yeah, so that's kind of to check it's gone. It's just to check that there's not an underlying malignancy that you couldn't see when you did the chest x-ray. Hmm. Thank you for listening to today's episode of our podcast. Don't forget to check out the Sepsis Trust where they've got loads of information about sepsis you can get online. Also, head to our website, medicolifestyle.com, where we've got a PDF from each of our podcast episodes, which you can download and it's great for your revision. Uh, big thanks to Olivia the Medic who helped us compile all of the information Check us out on Instagram, medico.lifestyle, where you can keep up to date with all of our day-to-day antics. Okay. So, yes. (laughs) Um, 